Jimmy, Jimmy Crane, Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Jimmy Crane's an improv nerd. Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Oh, Jimmy. This is Jimmy Corain. You're listening to another episode of Improv Nerd, sponsored by my award-winning improv classes here in Chicago, The Artist Low Comedy. Starting September 8th and September 13th, we'll be offering two sections of the intermediate of Artist Low Comedy, where we'll focus on two-person scenes. If you want to get great at long form, you got to start with the foundation, and that's two-person scenes. All my classes are limited to only 12 people, so you get plenty of stage time and personal attention in those reps you need to get better. For more information, you can go to my website, jimmycorain.com. That's jimmycorain.com. Also, we're sponsored by the good people at Hotel Lincoln. So the next time you find yourself here in the city of Chicago and you're looking for a cool boutique hotel that's close to everything, it's not only pet-friendly, but it's improviser-friendly as well, and I'm not joking about that, check out the official hotel of Improv Nerd. That is the Hotel Lincoln. We have a great show for you today, especially if you're into musical improv. Our guest today, and we went all the way to Washington, D.C. to record this at the Washington Improv Theater, WIT, they call themselves. And our guest today is none other than the musical genius of Travis Charles Plager. Now, Travis created and directed iMusical. It's the hit improvised musical at the WIT Theater. And before that... He was the musical director at Chicago City Limits in New York City. We sat down and we talked about his unique approach to musical improv. We also talked about how he started and how he wanted to be a star on Broadway and he found his place being uh, a musical director in, 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 in improvisation. And I actually get up and do musical improv with a couple cast members from the show. Uh, and uh, so I learned in this episode even more about musical improv, which still scares me to this day. Now, before we get to the interview with Travis Charles Plager, I know you've come to expect some, you know, at this point of the, of the podcast that I'm going to tell you something that's pretty fucked up in my life. Well, I hate to disappoint you here, but things actually are going pretty well, and especially with my teaching. Uh, they, they couldn't go better. I, I've been traveling around uh, to different cities this month, and here in Chicago, I've had to uh, do three one-day intensives. Uh, I had to add one because they were so popular. And what was so cool about it was my last one, and I limited it to about 14 people, everybody was from, from either out of the country or out of the state. I only had two people from Chicago. I had someone from Poland and Korea and Italy and England. I mean, it was amazing. And uh, afterwards, they always want to get my picture. And uh, if you've seen any of my pictures with students or people have come to the show afterwards, you know how frightened I look. I don't know how to take a good picture because the thing is, I don't know how to smile. And even when I go with my wife to take a picture, Lauren will be like, smile, smile. And it comes out so fake. I, I, I don't know how to smile. So if anybody has any tips on how to smile, let me know. Or, or if there's a good book out there about smiling for pictures because I, it just, I just look in pain. And if you go to my Facebook, uh, now there's this one I, I, I forgot the, the student's name he's from, from Milan, Italy 
And it just looks, I just, he's really big and tall, and I just look terrified. And so I, I really need to work on it. So if anyone has any tips, let me know. Uh, here you go. You're going to love this episode. I had a blast. It was, it, I, I'm really starting to, to loosen up and have fun doing musical improv, even though I suck at it. Here it is, the Travis Charles Plager interview recorded at the Wit Theater in Washington, D.C. Enjoy. Jimmy Crane's an improv nerd. Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Oh, Jimmy. Jimmy Crane. Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Jimmy Crane's an improv nerd. Jimmy Crane's a nerd. He's a nerd. Oh, yeah. Jimmy's a nerd. He's a nerd. The hell out of me, uh, and I just—I I, I love your passion, your 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 passion for musical and stuff like that. And you said like you started playing the piano when you were like two years old or something. Yeah, before I could walk. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. Why would I lie? I don't know. <laughs> what does that get us? Yeah, no, uh, that was before I could walk. My parents had the the foresight to buy one of those. Schroeder pianos, Schroeder, the Schroeder, the little toy the, piano, yeah, the little from toy, the yeah. Like Schroeder, yeah, yeah. So it has like six keys, uh-huh. you know. And so before I could walk, I'm banging on this thing all the time. Mm-hmm. And my parents they took a gamble, and by the time I got to kindergarten, they decided to buy the upright piano, the real deal. And I'm very glad they did. Do you remember what was the first song that you learned? Oh. Um, it was probably one I made up. <laughs> good at yeah, I'm, uh, I, I made up a haunted house song. Do you remember it all? How it went? Oh, God. Um, uh, I, I, could, I, I could fake it. I do improv, right? I could fake it. Yeah, sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was probably something like. And how old were you, would you say? Oh, this is, this is five. Five songs. This is your first song. It's the Haunted House song. Yeah, Haunted House song. It's probably something like. um, uh, (laughs) I probably did that over and over and over again until my parents were like, that's great, that's great. (laughs) That's probably how that (laughs) <laughs> and then, so so you do that, and you're like one of these kids where you 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 actually, you know, like a lot of people, like I got an instrument and you just blow it off. You like got an instrument and you just took to it, right? Initially, yes. Okay. There was there was a period of from five through maybe I was twelve or thirteen, and then like many pre-teens, they start to rebel against anything your parents want to do. Why did you rebel? Because Because I'm a stupid young kid, and I was like, I don't want to play piano. I don't want to do lessons. I want to play bass guitar. So I then started playing bass guitar, and my parents were like, fine, all right, you don't have to do this. It was kind of neat that the moment I stopped taking lessons, and I was going to do bass guitar and be really cool, I then would play piano more, because now I didn't have this constraint of, you need to learn this practice thing this week for the teacher. You have to, you have to bike 
through the woods to get to the teacher's house to learn to, to play the thing that you just spent all week practicing. And once that was removed from the process, I then went to the piano because I wanted to go to the piano. And I started like really writing and really playing. And then in your teens, you also developed this love for musical theater, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, even, even I was 9, 10, I, was, I wasn't thinking I was going to be a, primarily behind the piano. That was the fun musician thing to do. But I thought I was going to be singing and acting on Broadway. That was going to be, that was, that was what I was going to do. So. Do you remember the first musical you saw that like, Got he's like, oh, I gotta do this. The uh, the soundtrack for the movie recording of Annie with Albert Finney as as uh, as uh, ball guy, Danny Warbuck. Mm -hmm. uh, that I listened to that constantly. What was your favorite? Like Tomorrow? Uh, I loved I loved Maybe. I loved Tomorrow. I loved uh, oh. Um, hard Knock Life. I mean, I just, I just, I, it was so cool to me that that, now, like, that they didn't bother to have like a soundtrack but, of, a, of a musical that you couldn't see. That was amazing. To me. But like, as a twelve-year-old or a teenage kid in Minneapolis, a suburb of Minneapolis yeah. where you grew up in St. Paul, that wasn't very cool, was it, to be into Annie? Well, <laughs> let, let's be clear: the Annie phase didn't last very. Very very long once I had two numbers on my age that didn't <laughs> that, didn't, that didn't go much beyond that uh, but yeah it wasn't the coolest thing in the world I was your theater nerd right because there's such a stigma like I wish I would have done more theater when I was in high school but I was like I don't want I don't want to be a theaterite I don't want to be stigmatized sure. as that theaterite did you have any of that when you went to yeah. high school yeah absolutely yeah I mean there was uh, our our <laughs> high school you had clicks of uh, you had like a theater click, you had like a smart kids click, you had a jock click, you had a burnout click, you had all the clicks like you would normally have, and I was definitely in that theater music click. And so then from there, you go to Hart School of Music. Yeah. And you get a scholarship, I think, don't you? Yeah, uh, I, I, I was lucky enough to get one, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, it paid for most of it, yeah. Mm -hmm. And when you went there, you wanted to st still be a Broadway actor, right? That's, that's correct, yeah. I was going to be on in, in Rent or Les Mis. That's mm -hmm. what I was going to do. And uh, so you go there. And what do you study when you go there? Uh, it's a music theater. It's a Bachelor of Music degree that I have, mm -hmm. uh, but the emphasis is music theater. So not only do I have the singing and the the acting, any and dancing. It, oh yeah, it okay. was it was four years of ballet, four years of jazz, four mm -hmm. years of modern, lots of, which I completely have still. <laughs> I wish I could share it with you. A lot of people around here, yeah. with, they say, oh, he can move very well. Yeah. Okay. Now not only can he play, but he can move. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm a big mover. So you, 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 took, you got that degree, and then you moved to New York City. Yes. And, and, and still, you want to become, you, you, like you said, layman's or be in rent. And uh, what happens when you get it? So I'm, I, I was one of the lucky guys out of college to have booked enough gigs that I didn't have to move to New York right away. So I graduated in like So when you say book enough gigs, what do you mean? I mean that my senior year of college, I was going out on auditions already and landing work for, for contracts for when I graduated. So I managed to get a couple of children's theater tour contracts. I got a contract with the Great American Melodrama out in California for a full year. I didn't have to move to New York for almost two years after I graduated because I had managed to line so up So you were a working actor That's for correct. two years? That's correct. And then you did like chorus parts and yes. stuff like that? Yes. Okay. 
Um, and so after the two years run out, now you want to go to New York. And I figured this is easy, right? I booked these couple of, yeah, I'm gonna, this could well, be- Well, because you must have been like in a bubble, right? Yeah, you absolutely, know, yeah. yeah. Oh, I can make money in theater. Bang, yeah. yeah. So, you, so you go to New York. Yeah. And then what happened? And uh, the bubble burst. Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't know if anyone told you, there are lots of talented actors in New York City. A lot of them out there. A lot of them out Next there. Next you're gonna tell me there are a lot of talented actors that wanna go on Broadway. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. right? And it's not a limitless uh, job. Well, apparently. you know, apparently there are only X amount of jobs there. Well, so how did you find that out? I mean, I, I, I kid, but how did, was it? It was, first you have to be a union actor to even audition for most of those things. So, and I wasn't a union actor yet. So I would either have to wait for the non-union, uh, the, the non-equity, the non-equity versions of those auditions, which would be even 10 times the amount of people to get into half the amount of and slots. And when you mean 10 times, how, when you show up to a non-equity audition, oh, how many people? It would be, you'd have 200 people in, in, in a line, snaking in the hallway, sitting around, waiting for their 16 bars, which is like, you know, 45 seconds to sing. What, what would be 16 bars? Can you just give me a sample? Oh, uh, she gets too hungry for dinner at eight, bum, 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 bum. She likes the theater, but doesn't come late, bum, 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 bum. She doesn't bother, bum that she hates. That's why the lady's a tramp. Thanks, good night. That's it. <laughs> and how long would you wait in these lines? Ugh, all day, you'd have to take a day off of work. So I would, I would be temping and, and I would, Say I'm not tempting this day because I'm going to be in this line at 9 a.m. and wait until you know. And how many auditions did you do before you realized oh, this isn't what you wanted to do? Well, it, there wasn't a moment where I said I'm not doing this anymore and let me do something else. Okay. It snuck up on on me. Uh, I was in the middle of an of, of auditioning. That's the positive way to say it. You're auditioning. So I was okay. in the middle of auditioning. Uh, and a friend of mine who knew that I played piano and wrote songs and did stuff for fun, she was in a sketch comedy group. Uh, in New York, and they were going to do a spoof of the Titanic musical that was out at the time. <laughs> it was going to be called The Towering Inferno, it was 15 minutes long. So, hey, you want to come in? And I know you write music. Will you help us write the songs for this? I'm like, sure, it'll be fun. So, not only do I help write the songs for that, but I then also play little bits and pieces in between their sketches. It turns out that one of the folks in that show was in Chicago City Limits, which is Still is New York's longest-running comedy review show. So for people who don't know Chicago City Limits, they were like, tell us a little about uh, that. Well, in the mid-'80s, I think they moved to New York in 1980, I want to say, okay. 1979 or 80. They, they were, if you said the word improv comedy in New York City, and you weren't talking about stand-up, because lots of people confuse improv with stand-up, you were talking about Chicago City Limits. It was the only place in town. And what did they do? They did short form improv. Uh -huh. uh, lots of the games you see on Whose Line Is It Anyway, it was those style of games. Although some of their show had was more of a long form style of improv. So they would end their first act with a 25, 30 minute musical. Um, they would do occasional spot scenes that could last 10, 15 minutes at a time uh, without any kind of games or interruptions in them. And then this was around 1998, right? Uh, yeah, that's right, yeah, okay, 1998. What, this, what's the scene like in 1998? You have Chicago City Limits on, on the Upper East Side. They have their theater on First and 60th. Uh, and uh, you had stand-up comedy clubs. You had some improv comedy happening. You had the UCB that was performing at the Solo Arts space. So that would be the original four. That's correct, and yeah. Two mats and yeah. Okay. And I was lucky enough when, uh, by the time I got involved with Chicago City Limits, the, the folks that were in Chicago City Limits at that time were in, in the in the National Touring Company anyway that, that I became a part of. 
they were the first generation students learning from the UCB4, mm -hmm. and then they ended up teaching lots of lots of classes and things too. So like I felt lucky to be, hey, you're going to start doing improv comedy, oh, and oh, your peer group, that's uh, this hugely, you know, they're the movers and shakers in, in comedy now. So that was that felt really cool. So you made such an impression how, uh, doing the doing the Titanic music, <laughs> Towering Inferno. You ended up you. Why me? Why do you laugh? So, well, I mean the. So the person in the cast that saw this Towering Inferno musical, she said, uh, Mary Purdy, she said, hey, uh, we're always looking for pianists at Chicago City Limits. Well, can I give them your name? And I said, yeah, sure. I'm like, what's Chicago City Limits? I didn't know what that was. And she explained it a little bit. And I said, yeah, give them my name. That's great. And I don't hear anything for a couple months. I'm auditioning, remember. I'm going to be an actor. What are you doing to make money at this point? I was uh, working in the legal department of an investment bank. It was a temp job that became a permanent job, okay. thankfully. So, so, so you're, you're doing that and you're auditioning. At nighttime, I'm, I'm doing gigs and shows and auditioning and mm -hmm. doing whatever I can to, to live as an actor, yeah. Uh, so I get a call, this is now uh, January of 1998, I get a call from the producer at about six o'clock on a Saturday saying, hey, uh, our pianist is sick, can you come in and do the show tonight? And I'm like, I've never heard of your show. I can't know the answer, I can't do the show. He's like, oh, you're on our list for subs. Uh, are you free tomorrow? I'll have our current music director come and teach you the show tomorrow. And I'm like, sure, that sounds great. So that next day, their music director comes in and teaches me. It was part teaching, but part kind of an audition, I guess. He was trying to see if I could, in fact, make up little things on the spot. But he was teaching me some of the technical bits, like they do a Jeopardy spinoff, can I play Jeopardy? They do a new choice with a bell, can I do the moods with new choice? You know, he was showing me the bits in order of the show. So that happens on a Sunday. He says, hey, we, our touring company rehearses tomorrow on Monday. Will you come to the rehearsal? I'm like, that'll be great. So Monday late afternoon, five o'clock, I show up for the rehearsal. I'm there at the rehearsal. I'm watching the rehearsal, playing a little bit. The uh, the, the the music director says, "Hey, do you want to stay and do you want to stay and do the show tonight?" And I said, "Yeah, sure. Why not?" So I played the show that night. The tour company would perform Monday evenings. I played the show, and then the next morning, I get a call from the artistic director, uh, uh, Paul Zuckerman, asking me if I want to be the, the touring company music director. So I went from a 48-hour period of not really knowing what the show was to now being their national touring company music director, which was crazy. And so, so you're there for like seven years, right? Yeah, I, I started in 1998, and then I left when I moved here to DC, and that was March of 2006. And so um, how did music improv change from 1998 to, to uh, what did you say, 2006? Yeah. How was that changing in New York? It was, it was a lucky time for me to be new and excited about learning improv in you general. You seem like you're always excited. Well, is that true? <laughs> it's, it's not an act, right? No. I mean, you're always excited. Well, you have to ask people that know me, I guess. I, I don't know. I'm up and about. Right. right. Um, does, does your excitement ever get in the way of, you're so exuberant, you know, and so but does it ever get in the way of, like, people, uh, uh, are, it's off-putting sometimes to people. You're rocking the wrong. <laughs> sure, again, I'm sure I'm the perfect person to ask that. I will say that people will. I have found that people will confuse volume with hostility. So uh, I have had to learn to remember that. Hey, you could probably tone it down a little bit. And well, I know, like when we were rehearsing, you would throw stuff out and be like, "Okay, it, can I chant? Can I can I question him on that?" I mean, it's so. It's so confident and so enthusiastic about it. 
you know? So I was just wondering if, you know. Uh, I, I hope it doesn't. I mean, I, I, I found that, the, that I have success with people. I mean, it's fun being able to take people who don't have a lot of experience with musical improv and through eight weeks get them confident to be singing and doing stuff. And, and I got a cast full of amazing, talented people that now can do also this music improv stuff. And I taught it to them. So, I mean, it must not be too off-putting. They stuck around for it, right? Well, but I think the also thing is, because you gave me a note when we were doing it, is like, uh, we were rehearsing a little before, and you're like, when you, when you sing, you gotta be really confident. And I think probably it's the same thing I know with teaching, too, because I teach as well, and, or you do as well. You have to be confident, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, they're, as a teacher, I mean, they're, you're, you're the word that they've come to here, right? So. If, if you feel a lack, if you're up there with a lack of confidence and you're not selling what you're doing, they're, they're not going to stick around very long. They're like, well, this guy doesn't seem to really be into what he's doing. He doesn't seem too confident about his crap. Maybe somebody else does. I think I'm going to pay my tuition somewhere else. Well, I, I mean this yeah. as a compliment. I love your confidence and your like, directness. You know? I think you, the, the more blunt you get, the better. Something that annoys me sometimes about improv classes a nun at Washington Improv Theater, but but something that sometimes annoys me about improv classes and any kind of classes in general is when the teacher is too nice and not telling you that you need work, be, be, or that trying to assist you or be critical because these students they're paying the cash and they want to be there to learn and get better and if you're not blunt with them about this is an area that you need to work on this is a challenge for you we need to work on X, uh, then they're wasting their money they're not they're not learning they're not getting better. I remember when I was teaching in Second City, uh, uh, the A3E program, I had gotten a class uh, before the class that, you know, like, so they were in level B and then I got level C. And I started to side coach and give notes. And they're like, well, we didn't, they were like, it, it took me like, it took me a long time to get the class because they didn't get notes. They got no <laughs> feedback from the class before. And it was like, you're giving me this, you know? And that can be really frustrating. So you were, you were teaching, you started to teach musical improv in New York, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm saying I felt lucky to be in the scene at that time because there wasn't a lot of musical improv that wasn't only located as a part of a short form game of some sort. Mm -hmm. I mean, even- Is that, that where it came from? Probably, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it, would, it would not shock me if the first musical improv things were just, you know, in whose eyes in any way. They have, you know, they do a rodeo Wayne, song, they do right. a blues song, they do, I mean, and so and Wayne Brady always sings it. Yeah, well, <laughs> he, he's very good. Right. Uh, you say that, yeah. when do you say that? No, I'm saying he's great. I mean, like, he's confident too, and he knows he's gonna sell a moment, and he knows, you know something? If I take this line and I do this, this is gonna kill, and everyone is gonna get their money's worth, and I'm gonna do it, so. You weren't fucking with me. You really think he's good, right? I do. I do think okay. he's an incredibly talented person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> what? He's amazing. He's a, all right. All right. Um, and then you talk. You directed a show at the Pit. Yeah. Okay. And you have a great story. And I know you. If you don't want to tell it, I totally understand. But but the. So are you comfortable? Yeah, yeah, okay, sure. Okay, so tell us a little about the story. You were directing the show, and you had everybody in suits, and, and you were in a tuxedo. Yeah, so we were we were doing this show called The Monday Night Musical, mm -hmm. and uh, it was... And no one was doing musicals back then, right? Yeah, I mean, not not really, no. I mean, like, we were starting to... I, I have to say that uh, 
one of the one of the first really so Chicago City Limits would have as the end of their first act we would do an improvised musical that would be 20 25 30 minutes in length and it would be a biography style musical we would interview someone in the audience get some moment of their life and then hey it's the musical and we would essentially reenact that moment or put a new spin almost on like it. a musical dream kind of okay. yeah I mean or another version of the way they did it or trying to be as true to what they said or maybe they said something funny in the interview and we go off on that and that becomes right. the show um, but that doing those, it was so strict, and there was so much expectation over, hey, person X is giving us beat one, beat two, beat three in this interview. We gotta make sure we hit beat one, beat two, beat three in the, in the show that we do now. And I was really intrigued about trying to do musicals that weren't so strict about trying to hit jokes or trying to hit bits that the audience had an expectation for. I mean, I was a musical theater actor. That was my training, right? I happened into the improv by accident, but. I thought, boy, wouldn't it be awesome to just do improvised musicals and just leave it at that? And if they're funny, great, but wouldn't it be great to improvise musicals? Wouldn't that be cool? So I started you know, asking some of the more talented folks that I knew from Chicago City Limits and elsewhere in the, the very quickly growing improv scene to be doing this with me. Uh, and I had a very fun time with uh, a tiny group called I Eat Pandas with Eliza Skinner and Glennis uh, McMurray, she's McCarthy now, she's married. Mm -hmm. uh, and we were doing, we were starting to really explore the idea of doing musicals that, I mean, they're hilarious. They, they were good, they were hilarious musicals, mainly because you have two hilarious women doing them. Uh, but they were also incredibly gifted singers and, and actors and you know, we were exploring making the show about the musical and mostly not commenting on the fact that it's a musical. I think that's that's the important point, that up to this time, you would have people on stage, they would sing a song, and it would spoof the genre. It would be like, I'm singing the song now, and you would picture them pretending to have a hat and cane, and the joke would be that it's a musical. And I was so not interested in that. In that. I wanted to do just do a musical and see what that was like and not make fun of the fact that it's a musical. And we were doing that with Ayu Pandas. Uh, I started a show at the pit called the Monday Night Musical, and we were doing that as well. It was really more of an excuse to hang out with my friends that could do improv and, and do it, you know, at the pit. But uh, the People's Improv Theater. Uh, so anyway, we're doing this show, and I had the idea: Hey, we're going to all be dressed up. So I would have a tux at the keys, and everyone would be in suits, and uh, you know. Gowns for the late. I mean, it was a real classy, real classy, classy joint. Classy, classy, right? So we have a hiatus of a couple of weeks, and I go back to start the next six-week run of this. And uh, backstage at the pit at that time, uh, basically the backstage was chaotic. You had everything everywhere, and there was a long, uh, you know, costume rack, clothing rack, where, where I kept my tux. And I show up after the hiatus, <laughs> no clothes, it's all gone. I'm like, oh, that's whatever. So uh, I, I, yeah, I emailed the director of the theater, Ali. Ali Farinat, yes. who I knew from Chicago. Yeah. Great guy. And I said, he is a great guy. Yes. And I said, hey, um, uh, I couldn't find my tux. Uh, I came in to set up, I couldn't find my tux for my tux. And he's like, oh, we, we donated all that to the Goodwill. You <laughs> <laughs> what? He said, yeah, we don't, you didn't get the email that we sent out about that? I'm like, no, I didn't get the email. I, that was my tux. And I'm waiting for him to say, let me replace this tux for you so you don't have to buy it. I'm waiting for that moment. And, and that moment doesn't come. Instead, he says, uh, he says I, I tell you what, because if, you, if you've met Ali, he does not want anyone to be sad ever. 
Like that's his. That, am I he's fair in saying most, that? Yes, I mean, and he's yeah. the most charismatic guy. I Absolutely. Mean, he's, 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 you know. Uh, and for whatever reason, he he decides he's not going to pay for a new tux for me because he's a businessman as well, I guess. <laughs> Go figure. But he said, uh, I, I tell you what I'm going to do. I have an extra suit, and I'm going to give that to you because we're about the same size. And he's a tall guy. He's yeah. a little taller than me, but not so much taller that it's crazy to think that I couldn't fit into one of his suits, right? So he's like, I'll give you one of my suits. And I'm thinking, okay, great. I don't say that it was a tux, but I say, all right, great. That's great. Um, and so he shows up uh, the next day when the show's going to happen. He shows up the next day, and he's got this blue suit with big gold buttons on the cuffs <laughs> and on the... And if I were to be standing outside of you know, the Aster welcoming people in, I'm sure I would have fit right in. Um, but I was not as direct then as I am now. So I, I, I said, thanks, Ollie. This is going to be great. Thanks. So it was like a doorman suit? Yeah, it, it, it looked kind of like <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm guessing it did not hurt him very much to, to give it to me. Right. Yeah. It did not cause, cause a lot of stress. So um, a lot of people will say, like, musical improv with gimmicky. Yeah. What do you say to that? I say, uh, I say, well, can't improv be gimmicky too? When you get right down to it, that's one. That's one thing I would say. Mm -hmm. Another thing I would say is improv, musical improv can be gimmicky. You're right, but so can normal improv be gimmicky? And you can choose to have your non-musical improv be non-gimmicky, and you can choose your musical improv to also be non-gimmicky. Um, I think when people say the word gimmick, I think they think. Uh, it's a, it's a guaranteed laugh or response. There's going to be a, oh, he's singing on the spot. Wow, I'm going to clap now. Like there's, a, there's, a, there's a certain predetermined success moment with the word gimmick that I think comes across. And with musical improv, yeah, I mean, there's a shock factor of it, sure. But there's, there's not going to be a lot of artistic satisfaction if that's where you're living with the art form. So, so I would say it can be gimmicky, but not what we do. And why do improvisers shy away from it? So someone's been doing it long form for a while and they, sh they, they, can, they shy away from it. Well, uh, it probably goes back to the gimmicky question, right? If your only interest with musical improv is to make it gimmicky, you can probably pick it up pretty quickly. And if you are, you know, if you have a, a really great voice that is worth listening to, it's even more successful at that point. But it's still gimmicky. You're only learning how to do some rhymes. You're learning to spoof the genre. Uh, you don't have to invest a lot of time into making that craft sing. To not to all right. So let me so, so <laughs> throw some things out. I don't know what's happened in my mouth today. Um, that that get in my way of doing music. Sure. I've got to rhyme. Okay. What do you say to that? Uh, to that, I would say uh, that's, your, that's your, your gut being in the right direction. When we hear music, when we hear songs, people are rhyming all the time. They're rhyming constantly. Uh, so it, it doesn't sound musical unless we're rhyming. So I mean, it, it's, it's, an, it's an understandable place to be. But what I would quickly say is that I would compare it to food. And I would say, you know, when, back when we were cavemen, and we were figuring out how to eat properly, we started using silverware. And so we would have forks and spoons and knives and chopsticks, have straws, however you want to go. Uh, and we quickly would become awkward if you were at the table and you were eating your soup and someone was using their hand. Everyone was, you know, it's comfortable if everyone's using spoons. But much like the meal you eat is not about the silverware, it's about the food. 
songs are not about the rhyme. The rhyme is the tool you're using, but it, the song in the end is not about the rhyme. It's but about what, what you're you, saying. What would you tell an improviser who's like, I'm scared to do it, and, that, and mm -hmm. that improviser is me. I'm scared to do it because I have to rhyme everything, and I'm not good, a good rhymer. What I would say is that, like any skill or craft, the more you do it, the better you're going to be, and it's not going to come to you immediately. Uh, if you're starting from the place where, what am I singing? Does the audience believe what I'm singing? Do, 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 is my character going to say this lyric or this line, and will the audience believe it? Do I believe that this character would say that? If it's coming from that place, eventually your muscle memory will start to be able to remember how to rhyme words, and that will come. But the, the most important place is to be believed first. Okay, uh, then the other thing people will say is, well, I'm not a good singer. I don't like to sing. What do you tell people who aren't good singers? Uh, well, do uh, you have to be a good singer to do? The best musical improv usually is going to have people who are also really good singers. That's, that's just the way it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's nice to have a pleasant voice to listen to. I mean, good, you have to put in quotes, because it doesn't have to be recording star quality. It doesn't have to be somebody we're going to buy an album from. Uh, but it needs to, the best musical improv is going to be somebody that can actually follow a tune where, where you're not off-key. You might not have a great voice, but you're not, you're not off-key. You're singing, and, I, and the singing is not a distraction. That's the way to phrase it, where the fact that you're singing a line, my mind is not going, wow, he can't sing at all. Because you're following the pitches, you're working with the song, I quickly am ignoring the quality of your voice because I'm listening to your words. And if I believe what you're saying, I'm wrapped up in your character's moment, and I don't have a lot of time to judge your singing voice because I'm caring about your character. Okay, uh, here's another one. I, I do a lot of long form. I'm a, you know, and, and when people sing in a scene, it's a cop out. Sure. What do uh, you say to that? I, <laughs> I would say no, it's not. <laughs> How about that? I would say, well, it, it's, it's, if it's musical improv, I mean, like, if the mission of the show is to be a musical improv show and the audience has come in to the expectation, hey, we're doing an improvised musical, clearly it's not going to be a cop-out, right? I mean, like, th that's the expectation. I would say the reverse. I would say it's a chance to do more. Uh, when we sing, we're singing, we're, we're, we're exploring emotion, and we're getting the chance to experience your character and what you're thinking in a way that you can't do with words. Words don't cut it. Now you're hitting a different part of the brain of the audience that is now connected to music and hitting the emotional connection with the audience that way because you're singing now. And it's, it's, it's a way to even get deeper and better at communicating what you want than without music. That's what I would respond. Okay, we're gonna improvise now. And we're gonna bring out, uh, we're bringing out uh, Matt, uh, Matt and Karen, Matt uh, Berman and Karen Lang. And we're going to do, uh, let's just talk about what we're going to do before sure. we do this. Um, we are going to do uh, some scenes, some musical scenes, right? Yes. Uh, and this, uh, this is your concept. Uh, it's uh, what you, we would see if we saw on musical, the improvised musical, right? Yeah, I mean, this would be a good sample of what the feeling would be. Now, I think this is interesting. Uh, when we talked earlier, you said it took you eight years or something to figure this out? Well, we started in 1998. I started in 1998. In New York. In New York. And around 2000, 2001, after finally feeling comfortable, because remember, I, I, I hadn't done this as a gig, you know? I, so by the time I started realizing, hey, this whole playing music on the spot with people, this is really fun. You should do this instead. By the time that started to click with me, 
I started really wanting to get the satisfaction that I was getting from musical theater now to have, hey, let's not have it just be gimmicks now. Let's actually really do musicals. And so that was about 2000, 2001. You have an incredible pool of talent in New York City because you have people that are auditioning to be musical theater anyway. So I mean, right. they're, they're, and they're also doing improv too because they're gifted. That's happening. It took, it took several years to figure out, you know, to figure out what we wanted. Uh, and then I moved to DC and I know, hey, I, I know now the vision I want. I know what's gonna make it tick. And what is that vision? That, that's, that's improvising a musical. That's gonna be funny just because it's improv, but that's not the mission. The mission is to improvise musical theater. To make you think that you just saw Rent or Les Mis, but it happened to be improvised. Have you done one that haven't been funny? That well, I think inherently because of what the art form is, it's gonna be comedic. It's tough to have it be 100% non-comedic. It's just tough. Uh, it's just hand in hand with improv. But ever, I would say comfortably the last several years, especially with beginning with uh, the I Confess show that we did in, in 2012, I wanna say. This was a couple of years ago with the, with the DC Fringe, the Capital Fringe Festival. Okay. Uh, we started doing, with those shows especially, they were musicals. And yes, they'd be funny at times, but there were real character journeys, journeys happening and people would, they'd be crying in the audience for, in, in a good way because they would connect with, with the characters and, they, and it would surprise the hell out of them what they just saw. So how do you know that you've done a good show? Like in improv, a lot of people, they, they go, oh, we got a lot of laughs or whatever. This is kind of, this is a little different. This is different. So how, how do you measure if, if it's a good show or not? Uh, to the frustration of my cast, probably, the way that I measure if it's a good show <laughs> is if I've been moved by it. <laughs> so, so if I've been, if I'm sitting at the, and it's tough because I'm accompanying the show, so right. I have to kind of be in the show, but I get the best seat in the house with these things. And if I am personally moved by the character choices that they're making and the discoveries that happen, then it's a good show. Okay, so you've really set a high bar for me because I'm gonna to try to move you. That's my, that's gonna be my, my We've already established I'm a good mover, so I think we'll yeah. be okay. Um, so, um, well, let's bring out Karen and let's bring out Matt, and how do you guys usually start on musical? Uh, we, usually st we usually start with uh, some sort of a simplistic suggestion. Um, uh, and a, a very common one is to get a location, a very specific kind of location to start our show. So for this, do you want to even go into it at all apart from just saying that, or do you want to? Okay, so they get a location and then, then, then I want to know this. So could we have a location, please? Airport terminal. Okay, so right. airport terminal, great. What goes on in your head when you hear airport terminal, that suggestion? Um, musically. Musically? Yeah. Uh, I would have to, I would, I would have to know, first of all, the mission of our show, right? So if this is a, uh, I would have to very quickly decide, am I going to play a reference that in 15 seconds or 10 seconds would be like, hey, that's the airport, right? If I have to, I have to quickly decide that, or, and this is much more common now, am I just going to try and set some sort of atmospheric mood that will appeal to me, uh, that will have maybe nothing to do with the word airport? I'll just, you know, I'll just play something that's going to hopefully strike an emotive response and leave it to the actors to set the fact that we're right Because really, you, you're the one who, who, who's, who takes that first suggestion because you're hitting your fingers on the, that keyboard. That's right. Or anything. So I'll set a mood. I'll set, it, I'll set it a, a, a mood that will, that will hopefully inspire them to either match my mood, being you know, sad or down, if I'm playing sad or down music, or contrast that mood which both of them have wonderful paths. Let's so. hope you have more than just two. Sam, ah. all right. That's all there are. That's all okay, there is. So let's move you to the piano. All right, sure. Uh, airport terminal is yes. a suggestion. 
and uh, we will we're doing three scenes. Right? Yeah, so it'll be it'll be it'll be three scenes, three songs. Each scene will end with the song. So okay, fully improvised. That's correct. Great. All right. All right. It scares the hell out of you. Be great. <laughs> great. Be great. I, I hope to move you. Oh, okay. Well. Right. No doubt. Great. Improv. 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 Airport terminal. I got to drive the little car around today. I know, I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got our, our we, we should be getting on at any minute. The, the, they said that uh, the, the flight's only about 10 minutes delayed. Well, that's good. Yeah. 10 minutes is like nothing nowadays. Yeah. Oh. So I want you to leave. I'm, I'm really going to, I'm going to miss you when you go to school. Dad. Oh. <laughs> Your mom wanted to be here. Yeah, I know she wanted to be here. She did. Sherry, she wanted to be here. Yeah, I mean, you know, she she really wanted to be here. She, she has the flu today. She seemed fine when we left. She she really wanted to be here, Sherry. Well, that's that's fine. Um, but you're here. Yeah, and I love Dad. You. Oh, and Dad! I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. It means a lot to me, Dad. Well, I wish I could go to college. I never got to go to college. I'm going to go to college for both of us. Oh. <laughs> when I move into the dorm, I'll be there. You will be too. When I choose a bunk, I'll be thinking. Which one would Dad like to? When I line up in the bookstore and spend all my money, I'll be reading with two minds, Dad and me. We're gonna make college count. I'll transfer all the knowledge to you. We're gonna
I, uh, I think I might take somebody else to uh, homecoming. Why, Ronald? Uh, it's your dad. <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, you know, I mean, we, you knew when we uh, met. No, my he's dad was part always of the... here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my dad. Never got to go to college. Yeah. Has black lung. I know. And he was six years he old. He won't stop talking about it. <laughs> but he's just so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to be here too. It's college. I want to be here without your dad. <laughs> I, th I think maybe you just need to have another perspective on things. Maybe you should invite your dad to come with us. My dad's dead. <laughs> I don't have a dad. My dad I'm is here on a scholarship because my dad is dead. I know, the dead dad scholarships are yeah, much better than the There's only one dad. of them. I worked really hard to get it and lost my dad. Ronald! Look, I don't need another father figure, okay? I just wanted a girlfriend. I didn't need another dad hanging around talking about his black lungs. That sounds like a man who does need another father figure. I think you need a dad. Oh, we're going to get all psychoanalytical on this. Well, you started it with uh, my dad's dead and everything. Well, I took psychoanalytical, so I know what's happening in your head. Well, I could show you my paper that I wrote. It was about familiar wrongs. <laughs> I don't want to read your paper about the million bonds. Right over here. I bring it with me every time I go. I don't need to see a term to know what's going on. I don't need another speech from your dad to tell me I'm the bond. I do it all.
Thanks for coming to homecoming with us. <laughs> See, I told you he was happy. Oh, thanks for having us here. Yeah, it's great. It's really lively. It was really there. nice of you to get him a corsage, too. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the two of them are really holding down both lapels. <laughs> Sherry's very special to me. Thanks, Bob. Sherry's special to me, too. I am? Yeah. Wouldn't be here if you weren't special to me. I, I appreciate it. So does Dad. I don't have much time. <laughs> you meant, thank God you're still here, didn't you? Yes, thank God you're still here. That's right. What would make me happy? Sherry's about to graduate, but if she wouldn't be alone in the world when I'm gone. Oh, Dad. Sherry. My mom doesn't love me very much, so I would essentially be alone. She'd be here today at graduation, but she's got the flu. Yeah. Yeah. My mom's dead. Your mom is dead, too? Everybody's dead. So you're alone, too? He's really alone. Well, I'm not alone. I've got Sherry. That's what I'm thinking. And I guess if I've got Sherry, I've got Sherry's dad. you got a family that you never had. <laughs> A different one than you had, but you never had this one before. I thought about it like that before. I've always been alone in the world. So have I. Did you? <laughs> you had a father, and he put you through mines. When you were six years old. But he died when I was 14. I know we haven't gotten along, but I see you. Me and you. But you have a brighter future. You won't go to the mines and get black lung. No, people don't do that anymore, Dad. <laughs> and you found someone you loved. Sherry? I never loved your mother. <laughs> I know this might not be the best time. Daddy, I never loved her either. <laughs> I never even met her. <laughs>
Well, did we, did we move you? Jimmy, I wouldn't lie to you. I was moved. Uh, I, I can tell you the, the part that I was moved the most, yes. it was in the very first scene. Okay. There, was, uh, there was a connection right before she, right before she started singing. It before be, Karen sang. Before started Karen singing, there was a moment where, where it just became very clear that you really, I wish I could remember the, 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 the problem with being where I am now. I've missed the exact lines and, and you know, I'm doing the next scene and the next scene. But there was a moment, there was an interaction where I completely believed this, this father loved his daughter. And I, 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 I was totally sold in that moment. Okay. Uh, it doesn't take a lot. I mean, we, we fill in subtext all on our own. You know, we will try and make sense of the actions on stage. And so it doesn't take a lot. As long as you're honest and, and, and don't give me information that's gonna contradict what my brain's gonna right. say, I'm gonna fill in the blanks, and I completely filled in that you could, was I alone in that? I mean, I completely believe that he yeah. loved the daughter, right? Yeah. So, and I was gonna say about this, because when I hear musicals, I, I don't think aunts, and that's my problem. I'm gonna say two words to you, okay? okay? Stephen Sondheim. Okay, for okay. people who don't know Stephen Sondheim. Stephen Sondheim is <laughs> still, still alive, thankfully. Right. Uh, uh, arguably one of the greatest music theater composers to ever, ever be around, and uh, and and if you see a Stephen Sondheim musical, you will you will not leave that musical going. Wow, there was nothing honest there. It's all about. But it. but I think when people think of musical theater acting and singing, it's out to the audience, you know, big and broad. Well, that that is one type of music theater. I mean, that's that's one that that's a, a sticky kind, right. you know. But you can. Uh, you can have musicals that are not showman musicals that are not just about songs that are that are really cool to listen to tied in with some sort of thin narrative. Uh, you can have musicals that are com completely real journeys of real characters and they just happen to be singing. And the singing is now another vehicle to, com to convey that emotion. I mean, you know, you, you, you can't watch, you know, you can't watch uh, company and not be completely moved at being alive at the end of the show where, where the main character, Bobby, is finally realizing, oh my goodness, it's about being alive. That's, that's, the, that's my whole problem. I need to act, I need to live in now and not care about the others. I mean, that, that you're not gonna be, if, if you're not moved by that, then, you're, then made you, stone. you're made of stone. Yeah, you don't have other problems, yeah. Great, so let, let's talk about this, because we, 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 we've got a short time here, so I wanna use it to the best term that, that we can. So the first scene, uh, we, it was Karen and myself, and you decided to play. Oh, um, I played. I was trying to g give us uh, uh, busyness. So we're at the airport. There's a terminal. There's stuff happening. Uh, and I left it open so that it would not necessarily be sad or happy. Mm -hmm. So that you could, you know, sometimes I can call the mood right on the top and impose that, and then they can choose to do it or not. But I wanted to keep it open <laughs> so to let you choose whether or not to make it happy or sad. Or Great. Happy. And so then, uh, in terms of the song, how did you decide you made that choice, Karen, to, to go with that song? Um, well, I think that as we as we interacted in the scene, there was clearly you know it was clearly a happy occasion okay. to go off to college, um, and as soon as you endowed me as your daughter, mm -hmm. that you know immediately clicked into that kind of relationship that then made it somewhat bittersweet. But then turning it up to be something where we you know where it wasn't a sad goodbye, but it was something we could then do together, um, made it. Uh, made it fun and made it something where we had some place to go 
um, that it wasn't just a, you know, bye at the airport kind of song where it was something where I wasn't going to leave you completely behind. Mm -hmm. I, what I found interesting too is a lazy long form player. It's like when you do this, you, you have to get to it. You really have to like get the relationship. You've got to really work really quickly uh, to, to get the relationship, what's going on and stuff like that, then to forward the, you know, the, to, to get to the music. Is that right? Yeah, my, my gravestone is going to say, uh, Travis hates exposition. That's going to be my gravestone. Meaning, meaning, I want these moments to start right in the middle of the moment. We have to be right there. We're not choosing to start the moment with, hello, hello, how are you? Right. We're starting in the middle of an emotional moment. And then that might, hopefully does, escalate to something even more different or, or heightened or whatever. But we've got to start right in the action. Right. I felt like for me, making the choice of the, the long, the black line, I thought, eh, a little jokey. I think I was panicking a little. Uh, you, I think the moment that was nice, it was past that, right? Because you were settling in. Right. You were settling in. You were just yeah, trying to was finding in, right? Yeah. But once you got there, right? You you made some crack, and then you 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 couched it at the end with just very simple, you know, I I I'm I'm gonna be proud of you, you know, she's proud of you too, or like right. she's not showing it, but but it's this is gonna work. This is there was some moment you just went back to just saying it like it was and. We do that in life, right? I mean, like we'll, we'll couch emotions in jokes and then come back to it at the end. We do that all the time. Right. And then, then we saw the second scene between Matt and Karen, and what were you playing for that one? What was your thought? Oh, um, uh, I, uh, the, the intro music mean? The segue music? I don't even remember no, at this point. The, the, or the song. The song. We're going to the song. Oh, well, we, we already established a couple times that there was a dance or a prom, okay. and I knew that for variety's sake, I wanted to make sure that the song was a very different sounding song from what we just had here. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make sure that, uh, uh, I guess you can't make sure. I was hoping that Matt would initiate the, the singing for that because we'd already heard from you two. Mm -hmm. And so thinking, what kind of music is this guy gonna sing? He was already playing kind of this like, hey, cool kind of guy. So I started playing that kind of music. So for you like, were going off what he was initiating. Absolutely, I was trying Great. to make sense of his character. And so, Matt, how did you know, like, uh, to go with your song or the beginning of that song? Uh, just from the context of the scene, I think. Uh, uh, generally, you're out there, and the music comes in, and there's like, if the music's playing, it's either clearly underscoring something to add, you know, timber to the scene, or it's building up to a, an emotional moment. And uh, from where the scene had gone, we were now at sort of this emotional moment, right, where something has come between them. So to me, that's like a jumping off point to sing. I had a similar thought as well. Karen initiated the first song, so for a variety's sake, it would make sense for this new person we don't know much about yet, you know, we're finding out about him, to sort of take the reins in this next song and give you a little bit of insight into his world, but then, you know, it also provides for sort of a bridge sequence where Karen's able to provide more insight into her reaction against Were them. you thinking the same along the same line? Yeah. So the structure almost becomes in your head, right? I mean, it yeah. almost becomes instinctual. You, feel, line, you yeah. feel it when it's that character song coming. Mm -hmm. When, you know, you, you, you have an innate sense of like, that character is the one whose emotional moment is now. There's, there's times when you're doing it, right, where you don't know exactly who uh, the scene, you know that the scene is about two people, it seems about multiple people, and the music's playing, and any one of them could step forward and give you a glimpse into their world. But uh, in the context of these scenes, it felt pretty clear to me that it was that guy's turn to sing. Great, so now we go to the third scene, uh, the third, really the third act. In yeah, our, in absolutely, our, in, our, in our little opera. Our little opera. Uh, what do you decide to initiate? Oh, uh, 
I decided to initiate that moment because we, we had a, uh, ooh, I was playing for a while too. So we had this passing off moment of passing off of the father saying, I want you to be, I, I, feel, so com I feel so comfortable now that you're not gonna be alone. <laughs> and there was, there was just a tender moment there and I figured, ooh, uh, maybe you would initiate the song, or maybe not. We hadn't worked on that, but but this just screamed to me to be the moment that it was your relief. This was the relief that yes, your daughter's not going to be alone. And so I wanted to play music that would support that kind of a song, a, a, a song. Yes, life is going to be okay, but it's sentimental, so, you know, uh, soft. Life is going to be fine. Right. That kind of a mood. So that's did did I initiate it? I think I did. I initiate you, the song. I, I did. I start the man took yeah. the second two yeah. lines of the verse. Yeah. Uh, but it was wonderful. I mean, like it was—it was such a wonderful, it was such a wonderful moment. And then, you know, we escalated into actually marrying there, which is great. And there right. we go. But uh, it was that moment was executed the way it needed to be. That was the, that was the emotional response we wanted. Did you think I was stepping on you when you initiated no, the first no. two lines? And actually, and I was—I uh, thought of Travis, but I was actually hoping you would take the song. I think I had instincts, but I was yeah. like, I was you feel that too right, and yeah. so you know when it's also time to be like okay it's time to sing the song so we're going to start this up and that is a courage lifter for everybody yeah so. yeah and that was one of those things where it's like all right you know i just like i just done the song in the second scene so i would have loved for someone else to do it and since we each initiated one it felt like now you know the spot right yeah. it's like it's his turn <laughs> to step, right but then it's like all right we're also you're doing this you know for the first time so then you sort of get the ball rolling. So when then you took it, it's like right away. It was like two yeah. lines in, you started right. singing. Yeah. Right. So it wasn't you didn't wait very long. Yeah. And then I felt like towards the end, I, you guys are so musical. It was just like, uh, it was just kind. It was just kind. I was ruining it. I felt musically, you know, for you guys. You yeah. know, that, that's what I felt. Um, let's take a quick questions, and then then uh, we're, we're going to have to wrap up this show. So if we could turn the house lights down really quickly. And if you've got questions about what we just did or something specifically for Travis, that would be great. So uh, by, if somebody could just throw their hands up uh, and ask a quick question here, that would be great. Uh, we would truly appreciate it. We've got one right here. Sure, Travis, what advice would you give to young people with their sights set on Broadway or Hollywood? <laughs> well, since my career was so successful with it, I'm the best person. Uh, honestly, actually, uh, it became very clear to me that my heart wasn't in that. And whether or not it was because I found, I fell into this and realized, oh wow, this is pretty rare too. Maybe I should make more rare. Maybe I should be doing this. Uh, but I found that my heart wasn't in it. And something that I do know from my friends that are successful on Broadway and in the film industry, uh, that's, they really do it. I mean, their heart is in it and you have to commit, commit, commit. I would say don't take a backup major in college. I would say, uh, I would say get whatever training you need to get that you feel will make you able to sell yourself an audition and then audition, audition and live it and live it and live it and don't give up and keep going and keep going and keep going because if you feel that you're gonna give up, then it's, that's not for you. I mean, it's, it's about rejection and, and yeah, so, so that would be my advice. Dive in, and if you can stand the rejection, then you can keep on doing it. Can I just add that those are not the only two cities that can make you feel like a success? 
Very nice. Absolutely. <laughs> You know, there's a, a great group of people in D.C. right here. There's cities across the country that have wonderful regional theaters. So you can have a really wonderful, rewarding career. You may not be super famous, but you'll be doing the art that you want to do. You'll be, you'll be a working actor. Great. Another question real quick? Um, yes. Uh, who were like your biggest improv influences in curiosity? And oh, what's the full, uh, this might be too long of a question. What's the philosophy you tend to follow? Or? Well, I mean, any... Any, anything that anything that doesn't rely on the shtick and the comedy and is relying on real emotional moments and you know, I mean, th I felt that this was had tons of real stuff, but it was also very hilarious. It was very very funny too, right? The truth comes from comedy. It's like a phrase or something. I don't know what that is, but uh, truth and comedy, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, so so. Those, so, for instance, like T.G. and Dan, it's kind of a, a standard to go to, right? But when you see one of their shows, they're not, I mean, those are real people up there. You completely believe the world that they're creating. Uh, I, I would be, I mean, the, the people that train me, like, like, like Rob Schiffman and Frank Spitznagel, uh, I mean, like, those, those, are, those, are, those are folks that, that they believe in this honesty with the work as well. So, yeah. Can I, can I, like, I, I want to add again. I think that for me, right, I came up mostly in the DC scene. So my improv influences are the people who were on stage when I was watching them. So it was like you know, Mark Chalfant, who's you know now the artistic director at Washington Improv Theater, and the executive director, and like Dave Johnson and uh, Mike Bass, and like all these guys who were just amazing improvisers. And you watch them, and because you're watching them do it, uh, you're like, oh, I want to do that. And like you pick up bits and pieces, I think, from everybody that you see, and then everybody that you play with. So like I learned stuff from playing with Karen, I learned stuff from like reacting to what Travis does, and obviously from being directed by him. So just the more you do, it's like you're just a sponge and you keep soaking it up. This was really great. Before you go, uh, I want uh, everybody's feedback on this, and we'll start with Karen. What advice would you give somebody starting out in improv today? Um, I, I think. Um, as somebody who teaches beginning improv, it's about um, learning to play again and uh, having fun and learning trust um, with, a group, uh, with a room full of people in the way that you did when you were a kid. So I would say be, be open and be willing to uh, just play the game. Great. Matt? Uh, find people that you like to be around and, and who make you laugh and keep playing with them. Great. <laughs> and, and Travis? Uh, Take classes, uh, but perform as much as possible. Find excuses and places to perform, and even if they're people, especially if they're people that don't know you, um, because you'll find out you'll find out very quickly what's working and what's not. Great, thank you so much, uh, Matt Berman, Karen Lake, and Travis. Charles Plager, I got it right. Can you believe that? Thank you so much. And thank you, uh, the Washington Improv Theater, for having us here. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, thank you for coming out and supporting us. Uh, we, we, we couldn't do this show without you. Um, could you put, play a little music underneath? So I just want to thank everybody here. It's been a great time.
Okay, there you have it. It's another episode of Improv Nerd. It's in the can. We, we, we can't take that back. I loved performing with these guys. It was so much fun. Uh, it really it really was. And I'm starting to, to loosen up a little and letting go of my judgments of musical improv. I, I really am. And, and I, I think hopefully you, you, you got that in, in this interview. And if you didn't, well, I, I, there's not much I can do about that. I want to thank everybody... Especially Mark Chelfant, at the uh, who is the uh, artistic director, and I think he's the artistic slash uh, executive director at Wit. So I want to thank you, Mark, for bringing me out there and and not only doing an improv nerd, but teaching two wonderful workshops with some really great people. And I was just blown away by by the students. Also, I want to thank my guest Travis Charles Plager. Uh, for uh, being such a wonderful guest, and it was just uh, so enlightening. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Taylor Edwards, who was in uh, Washington and recorded this episode, and then I'd like to thank, on this side, on the Chicago side, uh, Chloe Fitzpatrick, who put this all together and made me sound so slick and so professional. So thank you both for getting this episode together, because I couldn't do it without you. If you want more information about me, Jimmy Corain, I'm the host of Improv Nerd. I don't know if you figured that out or not. No, you're smart people. You know. Go to my website. Sign up for my blog. If you haven't signed up for the blog, you need to do it because it's going to make you a better improviser. I'm going to even say I'm going to even say this. It might even make you a better person. I'm not going to promise, but check that out. Go to my, my website, jimmycrane.com. Also, go to Feral Audio. We're part of a great podcast collective, uh, people like Chelsea Peretti, Matt Dwyer, Steve Agee, Todd Berry, Dan Harmon. The lists go on and on and on. They're some of the funniest and most creative podcasts out there. That's feralaudio.com. So check that out. We're also on social media, improv underscore nerd. That's Twitter. That's our handle on Twitter. Our Facebook page, like us, improv nerd. It really helps with my low self-esteem. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. And uh, I think I'm out of breath here. I mean, I'm just running down so many st- so much stuff here. Uh, I want to th- I want to thank the Hotel Lincoln uh, for sponsoring us, and I want to thank you for listening. And until next time, remember: walk, don't run. Jimmy Corain's an improv nerd. Jimmy Corain's a nerd. He's a nerd. Oh yeah. Jimmy's a nerd. He's a nerd. Oh yeah. Jimmy's a nerd. He's a nerd. Oh yeah. Jimmy's a nerd. He's a nerd. Oh yeah. Let's say uh, Seinfeld was on an island and he was blowing Boris Karloff. What would, it, what would that be like? <laughs> it might go something like this. Oh, Mr. Karloff, I loved you and Frankenstein and I love giving you a blowjob. Why, Mr. Seinfeld, I'd love having you 